0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to our prospect podcast version of the Dirty 35 write-ups. I am your host. I am Kyle Reese for Birds on the Black and Prospects After Dark. How we're going to do the podcast version of the Dirty 35 is similar to what we've done in the past. We're going to pick five prospects at a time, break those five prospects down, uh, and we'll make that one podcast and do it for seven different times uh, until we get to the end of the list. Today, we'll be doing Prospects 35. 34, 33, 32, and 31. It's an interesting group of guys who are kind of all over the spectrum of uh, abilities and talents and positions. And I, uh, I I guess there's really no reason to waste any more time. We should probably just get into it. I, I guess this comes with the warning that these five guys, I always think of Prospects 35 through 31 as kind of like a misfit group. Uh, a, a group that deserves mentioning but probably doesn't deserve a whole lot of extra attention. Uh, although, of course, if you go and you read the articles and you look at the gifts, you'll see that I, I try to give them as much attention as I possibly can. Uh, but the, the back like the back seventh of, of the, the write-ups, the back seventh of the list, are usually guys who are intriguing. Sometimes they're not in any specific order, uh, even though we do number them uh, 35 through 31. But uh, I, I These are usually guys that I like. Some of them usually have injuries, and then... Uh, you know, we, we adjust accordingly, and I, I say we adjust accordingly because I didn't write this in any of the write-ups, but we had to adjust the dirty 35 at the last minute because the Cardinals put Ramon Urias uh, on waivers, and he was claimed by the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, now, I want to say that when it was all said and done, I, I had Ramon Urias uh, write about the, the Hold on, I'm trying to look at the list. I had him between 15 and 20. I'm just going to say that because I couldn't really decide, and I've made some changes since my initial, like, this is my final draft. Uh, But he would have been between 15 and 20 in prospects list. So the reason that the Cardinals had to put him on waivers was to claim left-handed pitcher, 22-year-old Ricardo Sanchez. Now, Sanchez becomes the de facto 35th prospect in the Cardinals organization via the Dirty 35. I have only watched two and a half of his starts I picked a bad one, I picked a good one, and then I watched part of like one that was just okay. Uh, And I wanted to watch more before I added him to the Dirty 35. So I will say that there's probably room to argue that he's a top 15 or 20, 25, 30 prospect in the organization. But prospect number 35 currently is a left-handed pitcher ricardo sanchez sanchez is 22. uh he was uh initially a product of the braves found his way to the mariners and the mariners had to put him on the 40 man to protect him from the rule five and then the Mariners needed a roster spot, and they put him on waivers, and the Cardinals claimed him. So that's how he became a Cardinal. Uh, again, I, I haven't watched a lot of him. I know that he's small; he's like five eleven. He has a kind of a big body on him. I'm anxious to see what comes of that. Uh, you know, there, there's a little in there that kind of reminds me of Ray King, just because of his size. Like he's not as thick as Ray King was, uh, but you could actually see it getting there. Um, he throws a lot of strikes. He's definitely a strike thrower. He works better in the lower half of the zone. You know, nowadays that's not quite as common as it used to be. He induced a good amount of uh, ground balls in 2019, about 50% ground balls. All positives. Uh, his changeup, his fastball, and his curve are kind of. You know, uh, like his his repertoire. Uh, people say that he might have a slider in there. I haven't seen him enough, and the minor league camera angles aren't making it evident enough for me to be able to say that I feel comfortable with with declaring him having like a plus or a not or below average slider. Uh, I know that I've seen the curveball, I've seen the changeup, and I've seen the fastball. His fastball and his curve, his fastball and his changeup work pretty well together. Uh, he. For somebody who throws a bunch of strikes, he doesn't exactly have the best command of any of his pitches. He overthrows his fastball high in the zone, usually misses his spot a great deal. Uh, where where he becomes intriguing and where it's more where I really wanted to wait and see before adding him to the dirty thirty five is I wanted to see more of his curveball. Now his curveball can be nasty. He leaves it over the middle of the plate, and righties seem to pick it up pretty well, which is a bit dangerous. There's more to that curveball, and I just I can't make up my mind on it. Again, he definitely doesn't command it the way that he needs to command it, but I definitely think it's a better pitch than maybe I sold it for in the article, or maybe I've um, I've embraced it thus far when. Uh, evaluating it. Uh, one thing is about his mechanics, and go look at the gifs because it's really interesting. H- his arm slot, it reminds me a little of like uh, the Korean pitchers or the Japanese pitchers, uh, the, the Asian market pitchers. Um, uh, just there's something about it there. The way he finishes is a little like Marco Gonzalez. Um, you know, maybe maybe that's a fun comparison to make if you wanted to make a comparison. Maybe this is a player who ends up being a bit like Marco Gonzalez was for the Cardinals, not the uh, the Marco Gonzalez who ditched his two-seam, went exclusively four-seam, and peaked as a Mariner and continues to peak as a Mariner. You know, maybe this is something along those lines. He, he could end up having a lot more in there. Uh, we're going to have to wait and see, of course. Prospect number 35 on our list is left-handed pitcher Ricardo Sanchez. We joke around about calling him Rick Sanchez because we love Rick and Morty. Uh, we'll always call him Ricardo because it seems culturally insensitive to do it any other way. Uh, but, yeah, let me see a little more of him. And as we adjust the dirty 35 moving forward, I would imagine he'll climb up a little bit. Uh, as I mentioned at the end of the article, now he's 22 now. He'll be 23 uh, uh, at the end of the season or at, by the opening day or whatever. Um or shortly after opening day, because I think his birthday is like April 11th and minor league season that will start April 4th through 6th or something. Anyways, it's interesting to me that the Cardinals dropped a, a a potentially, not impactful, but a potentially advanced major league caliber utility bat in Ramon Urias to pick up this lefty off of waivers. Because with the three batter minimum, I think you can argue that the left-handed role uh, and being a left-handed pitcher is going to start losing a little bit of its value like three better three batter minimum means that there's no more loogies loogies are done so that's one less role for a left-handed pitcher uh, you know a lefty would have to be very very good against right-handed pitchers as well because of the three batter minimum if they can't stick as a starter so it's just kind of an interesting um like juxtaposition it's an interesting philosophy or uh, approach to take and i'm anxious to see if this is just kind of one of those things where it's all right let's throw as much at the wall as we possibly can and hope for the best hope that one of these guys pans out as a long-term reliever or a, a, a guy who can get some righties out um but uh, I, I get the I get the approach I get the philosophy. Uh, one thing I didn't say about his curve I've been told since I wrote the article uh, by someone that I trust that his he has a high spin curveball. Uh, you know it has a solid amount of RPMs to it, and it seems like that's kind of what the Cardinals are targeting these days. They're a little bit behind on that, but uh, we've noticed that in the draft. You know they drafted Zach Thompson. Zach Thompson has a 3,000 RPM slider and curveball. Uh, it, it's nice to see them go in that direction when they are acquiring. Talent. So uh, again, I don't really know what the uh, uh, long term outlook is for Ricardo Sanchez entering his age 23 season. I want to see more. I'm very encouraged. Uh, But to me, this seems like a guy who, as I say in the article, he's somewhere in between, like, as initially I said in the article, he's the gyro munos of pitchers, in my opinion. Uh, There's probably a better analogy to be made there to Max Schrock, where Max Schrock just makes a ton of contact. Uh, uh, Sanchez has been effective so far because he throws a lot of strikes. Um, I think at most, just a little bit I've watched, like I said, you're talking about uh, uh, minor league version of Tim Cooney, maybe the major league version of Marco Gonzalez if everything goes according to plan. Prospect number 34 on our list is 21-year-old shortstop, Your favorite prospect, Delvin Perez. Now, as you guys know, Delvin Perez was a first-round draft pick in 2016. He's been around forever. He's still only 21. Uh, He just turned 21 in December, so he's not like knocking on 22's door. Uh, Look, it hasn't been a a great minor league career for Delvin Perez. We all know the issue. Uh, There, you know, when he was drafted, he took HGH. HGH tested positive. And uh, that's why the Cardinals got him at 20, wherever they got him. I, I don't remember right now, 21 or 23. Uh, I have 21 in my mind because that's where the Cardinals draft in 2020. And now I can't think because uh, I'm stupid, really. Delvin's issue is that he needed to put on weight. He had never put on weight. He's skinny. When you're that small, you can't make that much hard contact. Hard contact. And, you know, he's six foot three, and he's probably like 160. So it's like... That's a really lean and slender young man for that frame. There's plenty of weight to be put on that frame. Now, this offseason, he's definitely put on weight. I was told that he put on between 10 and 20 pounds. I was told 15 pounds, but that's a conveniently round number, so I'm just going to say between 10 and 20 pounds uh, of good muscle, so that's a positive. Uh, The two areas that we have definitely seen consistent improvement with Delvin Perez is his ability to run the bases and the ability to play defense at short. Now, you'll see the errors, you'll see the fielding percentage, and you'll think, oh, uh, he had a down year, like he's taking steps back defensively at short. I I don't think so. You know, I watched a lot of him at short this year, and I I think some of those, you you know how it can be. Look, uh, looking at minor league stats, especially defensively uh it, it's it's tough it's really tough because you know as bad as the major league uh scores are at major league stadiums it's even worse in the minor leagues and that's just that's just how it works you know i don't mean that to bash on the minor leagues you know game score but that's just how it works uh i guess the encouraging thing about delvin is i watched him get better at stealing bases picking up pitchers those are positives because he's a fast hitter or he's a fast base runner uh a good base runner fast base runner And that's really going to help him, the ability to steal bases. The other thing that's worth mentioning is, while he never has hit for a lot of extra base hits, that's never been his game, and now we hope... That he's going to start hitting for a little bit more slug because of the the weight on his body. What we know for sure is that over his last 193 plate appearances from July 6 until the end of the year, he hit 301, got on base 35.3 uh, percent of the time with a slug of 409. Now that's still an OPS of 762, but when you hit 12 of your 17 doubles, two of your three triples, and your lone home run over the last 200 bats or plate appearances of your season over the last two months of the minor league season, those are all steps in a positive direction. I don't want to focus too much on uh, on the negative with Delvin, because he's still young, he's putting the weight on, he's getting better, he's getting smarter, uh, and those are all positives. I would also mention that it was about this time in Oscar Mercado's development where he took a step forward. Uh, uh, keep in mind with Mercado, he went from short to the outfield. That seemed to like spark him, uh, but this is kind of like the same thing with Mercado, where at the end of his age 20 season, although it might have been the end of his age 21 season. So Delvin might actually be a little a little younger than Mercado was, now that I think about it. Uh, but at the end of that season, you started to see signs of Oscar Mercado starting to break out of some of his struggles. And I feel like, and maybe it's not feel, I hope that that's what Delvin has done. Uh, that's, that's where I'm at with Delvin. He'll be at the Florida State League this coming year. That's a concern because... You know, for all of you who are just tuning into this for the first time, uh, who are reading me for the first time, uh, who don't really have a great or extensive knowledge of minor league baseball, the Florida State League is the toughest league for hitters in baseball. Uh, bigger stadiums, swirling winds, it's tough, uh, and, you know, he probably won't have the increase in slug that we're hoping for, so we're really going to have to keep an eye on his WRC Plus uh, over at graphs to kind of give an idea of how he's doing as compared to the rest of the league. Um this is i make a bold prediction at the end that i think this will be the first year uh since 2016 where he um or 2017, I guess, or man, no, it was 2016. That he has uh, an above average, um, uh, he's an above average run producer at the minor league level. You know, that's if you're looking at WRC plus, you're an average at 100. I think you're going to talk about like 103, 106 for Delvin this year. All positive signs uh, for this young man. You just have to hope that uh, while he was focused on the year, you have to hope uh, that, uh, and then he put on weight. That, that didn't make him overconfident or anything like that. He's he's taken positive steps maturity-wise. Maturity was an issue with him uh, from the get-go in the organization. He's taken positive steps. I think you could argue that he's in, he might be a top 25 prospect in the organization, and I think there's a very good chance by the end of the year you're talking about a top 20 to 25 prospect in the organization. Uh, don't expect home runs. We're looking for the doubles in that Florida State League. So that's prospect number 34, 21-year-old shortstop Delvin Perez. Prospect number 33 on the list is 23 year old uh uh second baseman but also first baseman and third baseman Chandler Redman. Now, the Cardinals drafted Redman in the 32nd round of last year's draft, and he was the most productive hitter. Uh, By the way, he was 22 all last year. Uh, He was the most productive hitter in the Johnson City lineup. He had 12 home runs, uh, walked 12% of the time, struck out a high 26% of the time, but he slashed 287, 382, 552 on the season with 12 additional doubles. Uh, You'll see... The thirty-second rounder, and you'll think, "Holy cow, that is a left-handed swinging monster." He's six foot one. He's every bit of two thirty, you know, two twenty-five, two thirty, somewhere around there. He has that like lumberjack-looking strength. You know, he he's a little doughy around the middle, not super doughy for somebody of that size on that frame, but it doesn't really seem like there's a lot of wasted weight. Uh, I really like his swing. He, he does a lot with it. You know, he'll go down and get a pitch and, and have that beautiful launch angle that you want. He'll shorten it up and go to the left-center gap. Uh, he, he's a really intriguing guy. Uh, he played second base... He played third and second for Garner Webb, where he was drafted from, and then he split time almost evenly between first, second, and third, while with Johnson City. I've watched him play some second. I've talked to some people, too, and they think that there's a chance that he can stick at second. I worry about his arm, but some people think he could probably move and play some uh, some formidable innings at third base you'll see a size and you'll think, no, that guy can't play anywhere other than first. You're going to pigeonhole him to first. But if there's one thing that the, what the brewers have done, and I wrote this in the article, if there's one thing that what the brewers did with Mike Moustakis, uh, and positioning him at second base, it goes to show you that, you know, the shift changes and not just like loading up one side, but what you do with the shift and positioning of a second baseman kind of changes the person's effectiveness and how they might profile at a position like second base. And you know he's not the fleetest of foot, uh, Redmond. Uh, he he's not super agile, but he plays the position pretty well, and there might be a second base future in there. I, I wouldn't be surprised. I know he's an extremely hard worker and a very very strong minded kid, so I wouldn't put it past him. You know uh, the area of concern with him, and again, if he ends up falling back to first base, he ends up falling back to first base or DH. That's fine, but I'm not giving up on him at second or third just yet. You know, mechanically, his he has a sometimes he has a big um, leg kick timing mechanism, and it, it throws him off. It throws off his balance, but he is not afraid to like sit on a pitch. Now, where it gets interesting with him is being twenty two years old playing at the Appalachian League and Appy League for Johnson City. It's a uh, that's a hitter's league, and he was old for the league. So more than likely, even coming from Garner Webb, he was playing against talent that was far inferior to him. So, when you see the 20 near 26% strikeout rate, you're alarmed already, but then when you think, well, he struck out 26% of the time against people that he probably wasn't he was probably too advanced for, then you're concerned. Uh, he has a good eye, he has a good approach. It's just he swings through a lot of breaking pitches as you might suspect with somebody who can power the ball over the wall. I would imagine that we will see Chandler Redmond at Peoria to start the 2020 season, and I think we'll have a pretty good idea come the end of May uh, what his future looks like. But there's a lot of helium with this young man. You know, again, another player you could argue is in the top 25, top 30. Uh, but we're keeping him on the back end's edge because while he was productive, he was doing against doing it against far inferior talent. Uh, I like this young man. He comes from a great family. He's smart. Uh, He just needs to continue to tweak uh, and refine. And like I said, we could end up having uh, uh, a top 25 prospect. But then again, he could go to Peoria and be overmatched. And you're talking about a guy who might not even be an honorable mention in the dirty 35. So that's prospect number 33. uh, Middle infielder, second baseman, third baseman, 23-year-old. Thirty-second round draft pick, which, by the way, we love. We love when the Cardinals have late-round draft picks that are worth mentioning, uh, and this he is definitely worth mentioning. So, uh, Chandler Redmond is our number thirty-three prospect on the Dirty Thirty-five. Prospect number thirty-two on the list is also a lot of fun. If you'll remember, about a hundred years ago, what was actually twenty-seventeen, uh, the Cardinals traded Matt Adams for a third baseman who couldn't play third base, and it outraged everyone named Juan Yepes. Uh, Juan Yepes is our number 32 prospect uh, on the Dirty 35. Now, Yepes had went from being an obscure prospect to, at the beginning of the 2018 season with Peoria, repeating Peoria. He looked like he had turned a a corner and mashed offensively until he went to Palm Beach and was terrible. And then, you know, he was also getting a degree at the same time in the offseason. Came into spring training last year, wasn't necessarily ready, and in a sobering display was left at extended spring training uh, when the, the full-season clubs broke for the regular season. And that was unexpected and kind of heartbreaking. But this should go to show you the diverse, like the uh, the type of uh, mental strength that Juan Yep has had. It was hard on him to go back and stay at extended spring training. And he worked hard and tirelessly to get back to a position where he could contribute and not only contribute, but earn a spot on the Dirty 35. He definitely earned a spot on the Dirty 35. Uh, I would I would... Steer you towards the gifts in the article. Uh, I make a point to show you just how much like muscle this young man put on between April of 2018 and August of 2019. You can see a physical maturation go, uh, like happen right in front of your eyes. You can also see his swing change uh, become stronger, use his lower half more, even though he has quick hands, he has a quick bat, uh, the other thing in the gifts I would ask you to look at is he hits two monster home runs last year. His only two home runs at Springfield, and both of them were monsters. I was told that one of them, I was told one of them was like 113 off the bat, but it only registered at 107 um, to uh, uh, the scouts, etc. Uh, so keep that in mind. Now the issue with Yepes is he wasn't exactly dominant at Springfield over the the 102 at bats. Um, uh, 100 and or wait no, it wasn't 102. It was like 59 plate appearances or 60 plate appearances appearances at Springfield. He had 231, got on base 28.8 percent of the time. That's an, oh. When I say 28.8, on base percentage of 288. Uh, I just I always boil it down to percentage, and I'm sorry about that. Uh, and he his K rate went through the roof. He got up to about 25, uh, 23.7 at the time. So what we need to see is we need to see this young man produce. At Springfield in 2020, the way that he produced at both Palm Beach and Peoria in 2019, uh, that's that's going to be the key there. The other thing about Yepes that makes him even more interesting than he was in the past is Yepes played first, he played third, and he played the outfield during the season. The 2019 season, that is. And, you know, I... As I say in the article, I reserve to make very much in the way of comments about the progress he's made at third base over the last couple years because I didn't really see a lot of opportunities. And most of the opportunities that I saw were, you know, can of corn type opportunities. Same thing goes with the outfield. So I'm going to hold off on my evaluation of him as a fielder at third and in a corner outfield spot. He seems adequate there, as I say in the uh, in the article. Uh, what I will say is that if he ends up having to play first base and he continues to show the power potential that we saw uh, during the 2020 season, then there is a future for him there. Uh, a very, very interesting future. And, you know, he's still only 22 years old. He'll be, uh, you know, he's, he'll be 22 on opening day, and there's still so much there. You know, he needs to continue to incorporate the lower half in his bat, uh, he needs to continue to be able to, uh, uh, you know, reach and sit on, you know, outside breaking pitches and uh, uh, pitches that he's not really ready for at fastball wise definitely needs to get better. But the strides that he made both physically and mentally while overcoming uh, quite a bit of adversity with plenty of distractions in his scholastic life uh, makes him a very, very intriguing kid. Uh, I'm, you know, again, I probably would have had him a little higher up the list if he would have been a little bit more productive at Springfield. What I saw out of him at Springfield wasn't even, like, discouraging. All positives, even even the 288 on-base percentage, uh, he was definitely more aggressive in those those very, very small sample 59 plate appearances or 60 plate appearances, whatever it was. Uh, but I, I think what we're going to see in 2020 is a very comfortable and confident Juan Yepes at Springfield, and I cannot wait to see what that looks like. Um... Again, uh, we've seen him have success repeating a level. That's another reason why I kept him a little further down the dirty 35 than I otherwise might have been inclined. Uh, uh, But, uh, look, he's a really interesting kid who's been through a lot, who works through a lot, who you root for. And if he can continue to progress defensively at third in the outfield, then he becomes a legitimate major league option in some capacity, as long as he continues to refine his approach to match that muscle that he's put on uh, that makes him a more intriguing hitter than he was a year, just, I mean, even a year ago at the end of the 2018 season. So uh, that's prospect number 32, becoming a utility player at first third in the outfield, 22-year-old Juan Yepes. Which brings us to the last prospect that we're going to cover on this particular podcast. Uh, third baseman, Evan Mendoza. Now, all you guys know, Mendoza is one of my favorite prospects. Uh, I have a whiteboard on my wall that I'm staring at right now. And for the preseason last year, he's 31 this year. The preseason last year, I had Evan Mendoza as prospect number 13. So that's a hell of a fall for a young man. Uh, what we saw in 2019 out of him is too defensive of a hitter at the double-A level, and the triple-A, because he spent a little time at triple-A, but the the problem with a kid like Evan Mendoza sometimes is he's such a good defensive hitter, he's so good with two strikes, that sometimes his natural inclination is to hit defensive, not to hit uh, aggressive, and I feel like just going back and watching a lot of his at-bats, now his season ended in June, uh, uh, he had a season-ending injury in June, had surgery this offseason, I I think it's a hamstring, I'm not 100% sure, he's ready to go at the start of the 2020 season, full bore, so that's a positive. Uh, but I, I feel like he he was always trying to be defensive. Like, there was no aggression in his swing. And I think it's part of the reason why he only hit one home run. And, you know, I think it was uh, like 10 doubles or 8 doubles and 206 at-bats or something like that. Two hundred Somewhere around there. We'll just say in like 210 at-bats, he had ten doubles or 10 extra base hits i think is what it was. Uh, he has a really interesting like because he's so good with two with two strikes and because he's such a defensive hitter he has this amazing ability to get on like once a game. He he he, he got on his on-base percentage was like 3.05 in 2019. But he was on base in like 80% of his games and it's because he he works counts. He he takes Pitches. You know, a part of me wondered if his offensive struggle and you know being defensive was a result of him moving to first base and playing a lot of first base. About half of his starts, half of his uh, reps came at first base in twenty nineteen. I hate that because that really zaps uh, his his value because his value is tied into his ability to play defense at third base. Uh, uh, but anyways, I wondered if like the move to first had like an offensive impact on him. Uh, we'll wait and see how that all played out. Uh, I hated that he was at first. I hope the Cardinals don't do it, or if they do it, it's at a very, very minimal. The rumor is that he's been working out a a great deal at shortstop in spring training. And if that's the case, then this young man who I view as the best defensive third baseman in the organization that has a chance of making a major league debut, uh, and if he can play adequate shortstop uh, to pair with playing an adequate third base, then the Cardinals are in great shape. He's in great shape because with his skill set, Hitting at that makes him the next Greg Garcia, at the very least. At the very least, although he's a right-handed swinger and Garcia was a lefty, you know, like that's that would end up being his floor, in my opinion. Uh, I cannot stress enough how good of a defensive third baseman he is. He has a great arm. He has great agility. He can get to anything. He can make any play. Uh, he has played short at the minor league level, and he really struggled there. It just didn't look comfortable. But he's had an offseason since being healthy to work on it. He's actually working on it. He wasn't thrown into the fire. It wasn't like an hour and a half before game time. They're like, all right, you're going to play short today. And he's like, all right, I'm going to do it. Uh, he's been prepared for it, he's been prepping for it, and I think he's going to show better than he did the last time he was given a chance to play short. I don't know if it's going to be anything positive. Like I said, I think about rookie season-level Paul DeYoung. Like, if he can just hit rookie season-level Paul DeYoung, then the Cardinals have something there. Pardon me. <coughs> Pardon me. And, of course, he's going to need to continue to to, to refine his approach, uh, not swing so defensively, and get more aggressive. Uh, he's a good enough hitter that he can get more aggressive. I will stand by that this is a young man who can be back up in the top 15 of the Dirty 35, and if he starts to hit the way that I know he's capable of, the way that he showed at both Palm Beach and NC State, uh, while continuing to provide good defense on the left side of the infield, ignoring the right side of the infield, then Evan Mendoza is going to fly up this list. I'm going to be aggressive with moving him up the list or moving him down the list. Uh, he's 23 now. And there really isn't a whole lot more room to waste with Evan Mendoza. I'm pulling for this kid. I like this kid a lot. Uh, he, he's a community guy, too. Like He loves being involved in the community. He does great community service. Uh, he's a very, very smart and intelligent kid who understands hitting and understands the uh, the, the responsibilities of being a baseball player both on and off the field. Uh, He just has all of those intangibles. Uh, And NC State breeds that. Not to say that he wouldn't be that anyways, but NC State breeds that. I I like his swing. I just want to see him be more aggressive and 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 be more comfortable with his ability to hit than what I saw in 2019. Uh, And that is prospect number 31, shortstop, third baseman, uh, uh, potentially first baseman, and I would imagine, wouldn't be surprised to see him get some time in the outfield, uh, 23-year-old Evan Mendoza. Now, that is the end of that section of the Dirty 35. Again, to go over it, Prospects 35 is uh, Ricardo Rick Sanchez, left-handed pitcher. Prospect number 34 is shortstop Delvin Perez. Prospect number 33 is second baseman slash uh, first baseman slash third baseman Chandler Redman. Prospect number 32 is first baseman slash third baseman slash outfielder Juan Yepes. And Prospect number 31 is third baseman slash first baseman slash shortstop Evan Mendoza. And it's fun that we get to end that because other than um, Ricardo Sanchez and Delvin Perez, the last three guys that we've talked about go to uh, emphasize something that we've talked about a lot on Prospects After Dark and also on other podcasts, that the Cardinals are working tirelessly, as are every other major organization when you go and look at it, to create as many utility-type players as possible. Players are more athletic now than they've ever been, and they're more capable of doing that. And and we're seeing that. And prospects 33 through 31 are going to fit that mold. And you just hope for the best. Uh, It's a really interesting and fun group of players. So that is our podcast for the top, uh, uh, for prospects 35 through 31. On the Dirty Thirty Five. Now, after we get through prospects thirty through twenty six, we'll have another uh, podcast for you. You can go to Birds on the Black and you can read all of these articles along with amazing player projections from Ben Sarudi. When the games get started, the best game recaps from Stu Styles, chirps from Tara Wellman and, and Alex Chrisafoli, which is a great podcast. Uh, Nicholas Childress, and then the 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 the, the Mench of all mensches, Cardinals Gifts, uh, as as the the Mench of all mensches, As a matter of fact, along with Zach Gifford doing amazing G- Zach G- Gifford stuff, that's more intelligent for me to understand. Uh, So stick to birds on the black because we got it where you want it. Uh, Other than that, family, uh, if you listen to this, you're part of the resistance. If you've been reading the Dirty 35, you're part of the resistance. Uh, Check us out at Prospects After Dark. Uh, And as always, we'll talk to you soon with Pad and also Dirty 35 Podcasts. And uh, happy hunting, family.